The preaching text in it is Isaiah 36, 1 through 20, 37, 1 through 7, and 2, 1 through 4. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Hezekiah King Sennacherib, Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. The king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. He stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the way to Fuller's Field, and there came out to him Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder. The Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Ezekiel, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you base this confidence of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? On whom do you re now rely that you have rebelled against me? See, you are relying on Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, we rely on the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you rely on Egypt for chariots <clears throat> excuse me, and horsemen? Moreover, it is without the Lord that I have come up with against this land to destroy it. The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabkishin, <laughs> I mispronounced, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But Rabshaki said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the people sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then Rabshaki stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you rely on the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me, that every one of you will eat from your own vine and your own fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will save us. Has any of the gods of the nation saved their land out of the hand of king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my land? hand? Who among all gods of these countries have saved their countries out of my hand, that the Lord should save it, Jerusalem out of my hand? When King Hezekiah heard it, 
he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the birth, and there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent mock the living God, and will rebuke the, rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. I myself would put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Next one is Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, to, of Jacob, that, they, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in the paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plow shares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn, learn war anymore. The word of the Lord. Everybody knows that King Joffrey was cruel and that he was not a Baratheon, that he was in fact a product of an illicit relationship between two Lannisters. And that Cersei Lannister sitting on the throne of the husband she murdered will not be satisfied until she is queen of the seven kingdoms. And so we wait, us Game of Thrones fans, for HBO to begin season eight. <laughs> and if you're not a Game of Thrones fans, you probably don't care whether or not Daenerys Stormborn, queen of the Dothraki and mother of dragons, will triumph over Cersei and take the Iron Throne. Now that Tyrion Lannister, Cersei's brother, has changed sides. And you probably could care less that Jon Snow, the last surviving heir to the hand of the king, Lord Edding Stark, is now marching south to warn people that the undead are coming over the wall. Then again, maybe he isn't the last heir. What about Brand? But he is a cripple. Ah. Now it makes you want to go out and buy seasons one through seven. <laughs> this sermon is sponsored by Amazon.com and HBO. This series has attracted millennials like no other because it really does have all the great elements of a story. Violence, lust, intrigue, betrayal, 
and heroism. But that's not the only place where you can find those. Today, Isaiah 36 presents something that I think is far more fascinating than Game of Thrones, even though, yes, I am hooked on the series and I can't wait till January. Nonetheless, this is real stuff. The 8th century, the 7th and 8th centuries before Jesus appears on the scene. The ancient Near East, which we often misleadingly call the Middle East, as long as all into the Middle East as well, it's just as full of those same elements that attract us to read novels. Only John Patterson didn't happen to write this. Isaiah did. And the, the historians that put together the books of Kings and Chronicles, they did this. Some background. And again, you may want to take notes. There will be a quiz. You want a Rice Krispie treat? You've got to get at least 70% or greater. The great city of Babylon is under siege. Sennacherib, the emperor of the Assyrians, has wanted to destroy it just to prove that the gods that they worship will not save that city. After he succeeds there, he turns his attention to the prize that his great-grandfather his grandfather and his father failed to get. And he assumes, how else could you do otherwise, that it was because the gods preserved Jerusalem for him. Tiglath-Pileser, two generations before that, expanded the Assyrian Empire greatly throughout the Middle and, and Near East and got to the edge of Israel, those northern ten kingdoms. Remember last week, Pastor John spoke of how the kingdoms had fallen apart after the death of Solomon, with Judah, the biggest tribe, and little Benjamin as kind of being absorbed by Judah, being the southern kingdom of Judah, and the northern ten tribes keeping the name Israel. Jerusalem is the capital of the south. Samaria is the capital of the north. Tiglath-Pileser dies and his son, Shalmaneser, or his son, yeah, Shalmaneser then marches into those northern ten tribes and destroys them. Now, the Assyrians are smart. They really are. When they go into a place, they don't just kill the men. They want to take as many of them alive as possible because those men are now going to be slaves. And they're going to be fodder for the next assault. Give them a spear and say, you march out front. Well, maybe they survive that attack. And now they're given a sword. And they're now the second wave. And now maybe after four assaults, maybe they've been fighting in the Assyrian army as foreigners. Now they've earned the right to retire. And so what does the Assyrian army do? They bring in people who are probably no longer at their best fighting strength and they settle them. Okay, the women and the children are still in the land of those northern ten tribes. So they bring in foreigners and now the men have new wives, new sons. Now their job is to farm and to build, to keep the Assyrian army fed, to keep the Assyrian occupation moving forward and what we have then in the northern ten kingdoms is a mixed race of people where the women are still very much descendants of Abraham and Sarah of Isaac and Rebecca 
and of Jacob and his two maids. Jacob's wives produced people who were in the south, Judah. But these women still worship the Lord God of Israel. They're Hebrew, only their husbands aren't. And seven generations later, how will the Jews look upon them? Well, they're mixed race people. They're inferior. They're dogs. That's for another story, another time. But it was clear to Sennacherib when his father Sargon failed to do what his grandfather did to finally finish up the north and go south and wipe out Jerusalem. It was because the gods had saved it for him. The gods did not save Babylon. He destroyed all the holy places in the city of Babylon, destroyed their idols, made his own people very angry over it. He didn't care. He was untouchable. So the Nacarib was powerful. He destroyed all the fortified cities in Jerusalem and the people fled as refugees into the one last city left, the city on the hill, the city of peace. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Hezekiah was the king. Before that, though, his father Ahab, Ahaz had paid tribute to Sennacherib's father and grandfather, hoping to stave off an invasion. But he went further than that. Ahaz, in order to show he was not an enemy of the Assyrians, brought Assyrian gods and idols and worship practices into the holy temple that Solomon had built on the hill in Jerusalem. The Passover was forgotten. And if there's one thing the Jews were commanded to do, it's remember the Passover. You don't remember the Passover by reading. You remember the Passover by getting on the floor and eating that lamb and, that la- and the, the cup and reciting those words, Baruch Atah Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. You thank no one else but Elohim Adonai, or as we say, Yahweh, the Lord our God, for that Passover, for the deliverance. No one else. And Ahab, Ahaz destroyed all that destroyed the spirit of the people. And now Shalm, or now Sennacherib and his army are encamped. Perhaps 100,000 surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah fortifies the walls. What else can he do? Hmm. What else? Indeed. Australian Lutheran pastor Harry Went came to the United States and after a short time living in Minnesota concluded one thing. Actually, two things. Number one, there's a lot of Lutherans here. (laughs) And more importantly, number two, they really don't know their Bibles. They really don't. And so he created this teaching stuff using transparencies and projectors and, and symbols to teach people what he called the divine drama. And I love what Pastor Went does with the stories of the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. He has this chart listing them all, starting, uh, ending with Solomon, really. You've got Saul, David, and Solomon, the United Kingdom, and then it splits. So you've got two charts, the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel. 
And in the books of Kings and the books of the Chronicles, in the Tanakh, or the Old Testament, we hear this phrase, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And so Harry went on the chart, puts a red X next to that king. Or we will hear the phrase, he did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God, and he slept with his ancestors, meaning he was buried in the royal tomb in a place of honor, and was given a green check mark. Now, Wendt points out, very interestingly, when you see it all on one page, you look at the kings of the northern kingdoms of Israel, red X, red X, red X, all the way down. There was not a single king of the northern kingdom that pleased the Lord our God, according to the writers of the Chronicles. Well, then again, those, those writers were from Judah. They were Jews. They were the ones who survived. They got to write the story their way. <laughs> nana, nana. <laughs> Samaritan dogs. <laughs> but the kings of Judah are all over. There's check marks and there's X's and X's and check marks and so on. And Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, you know what he got, right? The big red X because he did what was disgusting. Here comes Hezekiah, raised in a house full of idols. What happened? Well, apparently the court prophet must have got to him at some point. We don't really know why Hezekiah's heart was turned toward the Lord God of Israel. We don't really know why. He chose to be faithful to God. Why he said, I want the temple cleansed. And I want a solemn assembly. He ordered all of the kingdom, all the people who could still get to Jerusalem to come for a Passover. Long before Sennacherib had surrounded the city and closed it off, he ordered people to come so that they could reinstitute the celebration of the Passover feast. So today from Isaiah 36 and 37 which, if you want to do more, more study, write these down. 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 29. Fascinating, it really is. Here we are. Here we are. Hezekiah has spent his energy not primarily in making Jerusalem a defensible city. He did some of that as much as reasonable. He didn't then produce a vast army like his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather King David had done. No, he spent his time and his effort making people want to know and love and thanks, praise, serve, and obey the Lord their God. And so then Sennacherib sends his general to speak and speak in Hebrew so that the people would understand it from today's lesson. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. 
Do not listen to Hezekiah. Or in today's parlance, Hezekiah is fake news. There were rumors that Hezekiah had sent to Egypt for help. Well, Egypt's already been conquered by the Assyrians too. They're already a vassal state now. So, Egypt helping? More fake news, right? I locked him up already. Yeah. Still, Hezekiah persists in trusting Elohim Adonai, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He takes off his finest royal vestments when he hears these words. When he hears the general say to his people, look, we don't want to destroy this place. Just let, can we live in peace? Open the gates. Let us come in. We'll all feast together. You can feast on your own land right up until we decide we've got another place for you to go. Yeah, that's in Isaiah 36. I love it. He actually says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to invite you to come to another place. Uh, mostly the men. Oh, by the way, we're going to give you some tools. This is called a sword. And you see that? Go kill those people for the king of Assyria. But Hezekiah continues to say, we don't have the strength of our own. And this is key in Isaiah 36. Hezekiah says, we do not have the physical ability to rebel that army. We don't. God alone can change the outcome that appears to be written. And then we have this curious phrase in Isaiah where the prophet says, a rumor will be placed in the heart, in the mind. Well, the rumor was that there was unrest back in Nineveh, which Sennacherib had taken great pains to make into a beautiful grand city, a capital city fit for an emperor. But the city was beginning to experience unrest and even riots over what Sennacherib did to the Babylonians in the city of Babylon. And sure enough, he did have to return. And he appointed his youngest son to succeed him. His eldest son didn't like that. And he killed him. So I guess the gods didn't really have it in the cards for Sennacherib to succeed in taking Jerusalem, which his father failed to do, which his grandfather failed to do, which his great-grandfather failed to do, because somehow the Lord, our God, had other plans. The Lord God decided that that was not the time. It would one day fall. That would be a century later when the Babylonian Empire took over the Assyrian Empire. There's always a bigger bully out there, it seems like. The history of the United Kingdom of Israel and then the divided kingdoms of Judah and Israel make for great reading for those of us who are history buffs. And I think for people who watch Game of Thrones, it should be mandatory reading so that they really understand where the story ideas come from. Great stories get retold in different ways because they are great stories. But there's a simple lesson here for all of us, even those who flunked history or hate history or would prefer that I'd talk about math or something else. Crops. 
farming. And it's this, there are consequences for nations for evil. There are consequences for nations who do good. And the leaders of those nations are accountable before God. As Pastor told us last week, God will always side with the just, with the kind, and with the humble. Sennacherib had none of these qualities. Hezekiah's father Ahaz had none of them. Unfortunately, Hezekiah's son Manasseh had none of them. But in the midst of there, there was God honoring the faith of Hezekiah. And because of that, honoring all of Jerusalem and preserving it. This doesn't mean we won't have strife or trouble or hardships or suffering or that we won't have times of trial. What it means is God is with us in the midst of everything that we go through. In Christ, we've already been forgiven. In Christ, we've already been given the green check mark. No power on earth or heaven or hell can change it to a red X. Christ has forgiven us freely as a gift. We are free then to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord our God. Music. Yes, the sequel to the story is that Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, who fell to the Persians, who were conquered by the Greeks, who then split into the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. They took their turns ruling Jerusalem until finally, after a revolt, They had a century of freedom and peace and independence right up until the Romans came along and made them yet another vassal state. Even today, there are people wanting it all. The Game of Thrones goes on and we are but pawns in it. Alongside kings and dictators, we have mogul billionaires and we will never be among their ranks. Then again, if you think they're happy, that's fake news. Happy are those who know and trust the Lord our God. Amen.